Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 11th of October in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, a grim milestone. The combined death toll from the conflict between Israel and Hamas tops 2,000. The Federal Reserve's Mary Daly says rates won't stay as high as they are now indefinitely. And the Labour leader Keir Starmer makes his pitch to voters, saying he'll create a decade of national renewal. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The death toll from the weekend's attacks in Israel continues to rise. 1,200 Israelis, the majority of them civilians, are now known to have been killed in Hamas's incursion into the country. Gaza's health ministry says a further 900 people have died in retaliatory strikes there. It comes as US President Joe Biden has vowed to provide Israel with the country's full backing, including shipments of munitions and intelligence support. Israel's economy minister, Nir Barkat, is promising a devastating response. We have to eliminate Hamas off the face of the earth. We will do that. We'll do whatever it takes to do that. Nothing will stop us. Nir Barkat's comments come as Israel continues to bombard the Gaza Strip from the air, land and sea. The Israeli military is building a base next to the Palestinian territory to accommodate tens of thousands of soldiers as columns of tanks move into the area. While a ground invasion is viewed by many as all but inevitable, it would also bring heavy casualties on both sides. Former US Defence Secretary and CIA Director Leon Panetta has told Bloomberg this would be complicated by Gaza's dense population and complex underground network of tunnels. Uh, Going into Gaza is not going to be easy. Uh, They've tried it before. The problem is that uh, it's basically uh, house-to-house fighting uh, once you get into uh, Gaza. And so uh, it uh, it could be a heavy price. But on the other hand, I, I, I think it is very clear that Israel has made the decision that they have got to crush Hamas in Gaza. Panetta's comments come as fears grow that an invasion could create ripple effects through the Middle East. Israel has already seen rocket attacks from Lebanon, raising the possibility of a multi-front war and a descent into broader regional conflict. Heavy civilian casualties could also prompt a public backlash in many Arab nations, putting pressure on their governments to cool ties with Israel after a recent warming of relations. Here in the UK, the Labour Party leader Keir Starmer has made his pitch to become Prime Minister. Speaking to a packed conference hall, he said the party will need to exceed the achievements of the last Labour government to get the country back on track. A protester interrupted the start of Starmer's speech, covering him in glitter. But the Labour leader quickly recovered to tell his conference he'll create a Britain that's strong and stable. What is broken can be repaired. What is ruined can be rebuilt. Wounds do heal. And ultimately, that project, their project, 
will crash against the spirit of working people in this country, and they are the source of my hope. Give them the government they deserve. Turn our backs on never-ending Tory decline with a decade of national renewal. The address didn't focus on policy, but Keir Starmer reinforced pledges for one and a half million new homes and additional support for green industries. UK starting salaries and pay for temporary workers are rising at their slowest pace in two and a half years. A survey from KPMG and the Recruitment and Employment Confederation found companies are hesitant to hire due to economic uncertainty and efforts to control costs. The data adds to signs that the labour market is cooling as higher interest rates weigh on demand. The findings come after the Bank of England's Deputy Governor Ben Broadbent said there are now reasonably clear signs that monetary policy tightening is having some effect. Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco President Mary Daly has signalled the recent surge in US Treasury yields may reduce the need for more rate hikes. If the markets in the case recently, bond yields have tightened, meaning financial conditions have tightened, that's an indicator of financial conditions broadly have tightened, it's more expensive to get a loan, then, well, if that's tight, maybe the Fed doesn't need to do as much. That's why I said, depending on whether it unravels or whether the momentum in the economy changes, that could be equivalent to another rate hike. That was Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco President Mary Daly, who does not vote on rate decisions this year. And we're seeing more signs of the post-pandemic boom in luxury spending is starting to fade. LVMH's sales growth softened in the third quarter as shoppers reined in spending on high-end cognac and costly handbags. Organic revenue at the French group's crucial fashion and leather goods unit, which includes Louis Vuitton and Christian Dior, rose by 9% for the quarter, well below expectations. Shares in the luxury giant have dropped by almost 20% since reaching a record in April, but are still up on the year. Well, let's get more details now on the situation in the Middle East. Israel amassing troops on the border of Gaza in what's seen as a prelude to a potential ground invasion. This, as US President Joe Biden has said, they're rushing military assistance to Israel following the weekend's attacks, in which we now know more than 2,000 people have died. For more, we're joined by our EMEA News Director, Rosalind Matheson. Good morning to you, Roz. Can you, first of all, just bring us up to date on what's been happening overnight in Israel and in Gaza? Thank you. Yeah, well, overnight we've seen Israeli jet fighters striking again targets in Gaza, more than 200 targets, they say, um, and that's been at least the third counter-strike in that area alone in the last uh, 24 hours. So hundreds of targets being struck. You can see some of the footage from Gaza showing the damage to buildings and so on. We've also seen the, the military in Israel uh, striking uh, in, in parts of Syria, again, with artillery and mortar shells saying that was in response to weapons fire from Syria. So Israel saying you know, they're getting this kind of sporadic, um, smallish attacks um, from the north, from Lebanon, and also from Syria. Um, there's no great reports of casualties related to that. Um, but we're also seeing, of course, as you mentioned, that build-up continue near the border with Gaza, not just soldiers, but tanks and other heavy equipment arriving in that area overnight. So certainly the sense that very much things are building up there, potentially for a, a ground invasion in the coming Is that trajectory on course now? We've seen this build-up of troops, this building of a base on the Gazan border as well. Does the direction still seem to be pointing towards that ground invasion? 
Well, that does seem to be the calculation. Of course, the timing of that <clears throat> would be unclear, but it's happening with speed, that build-up that's happening, building a base, getting uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Israeli soldiers into the area and also getting uh, U.S. military aid into the area. We know that money's coming for the Iron Dome and defense system, which has been under a lot of pressure. So you've got to secure that and make it more stable um, if you're expecting to, to engage in a ground invasion. Some stuff seems to be getting through that, of course. And you also, it's clear that Israel needs things like ammunition and basic military aid. We know the first plane carrying some U.S. armaments has landed in Israel, um, but they need a lot more. Uh, so, so that's a, it's a question around timing, planning. You have to think the ground war would involve potentially close quarters combat and a high density population area. So there's a lot to think about there before going in. Um, and the question is, what is the U.S. and other countries saying? Uh, they're not objecting to it. It seems at least publicly, but are they urging some caution behind the scenes given the risk involved? On that point about the United States, Joe Biden reiterating his support for Israel in a call with Netanyahu. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is going to be going to the region as well. What what sort of resources is the US mobilising to support Israel at this stage? Is that that military aid, which seems to now already be flowing, the U.S. is not so specifying exactly what they've been giving, but we do know, as I said, that it supports the Iron Dome, uh, the structure of the Iron Dome, um, and also sort of basic armaments and so on. So there's that. There's lots of conversations going on about what aid needs to go from the U.S. to Israel. Does it need to come from Congress? Can it be bypassed and go simply straight through the White House? That could become more complicated as time goes on. We know the US has got a lot of military assets nearby. It's building those up. Also, mostly warships, including an aircraft carrier, are very much watching closely, it seems, for any spillover from a ground invasion, um, while being reluctant, no doubt, to get very directly militarily involved themselves. But the U.S. is also doing a lot behind the scenes on the diplomacy. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, on his way, talking to other countries. We know Egypt and the U.S. is speaking with Israel about possible ways to find some sort of safe passage for civilians out of Gaza. They're also talking with Qatar about whether they can help mediate on prisoner swaps. So there's sort of the military aspect of that from the U.S., but also very much a diplomatic effort going on as well. Ros, you're speaking to us from Brussels this morning. EU foreign ministers met yesterday and renewed humanitarian aid to the Palestinians. What else emerged from that meeting in terms of the EU position on this conflict? Well, that's right. There was that odd odd public dispute for the EU, um, but eventually they've made that decision for now, at least on Palestinian humanitarian aid. Certainly a strong sense in Brussels as foreign ministers met here yesterday of horror, at what has happened, of support for Israel in a very difficult moment, but also strong sort of sense of concern for the fate of the people in Gaza, um, humanitarian support, the need to keep that going, that people there have existed in very difficult conditions for many years. And that feeling remains despite the attacks by Hamas, which, of course, uh, has been declared a terrorist group by the US, but also Europe. It's just more, it's just less clear-cut 
potentially than, say, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, especially if, if a, a full ground invasion happens, you could start to see some fractions, fractures in the EU on it pretty quickly and a, and a concern about where that ends. So you, did, do you do hear those statements of support for Israel, but also concern for the, for the fate of the people, civilians on the ground inside Gaza. Okay, Rosalind Mathson, our EMEA News Director, thank you very much for joining us with the latest developments on events in the Middle East. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Well, let's turn to politics in the UK now on the final day of the Labour Party conference. In his speech there yesterday, Keir Starmer offered a mix of security, hope and patriotism as he sought to convince voters that his party is ready for power. Our Caroline Hepker was listening to that speech. She's live in Liverpool for us this morning. Caroline, good morning to you. This was the biggest speech of Keir Starmer's political career. How has it been received? Well, Labour will surely be pleased with Starmer's speech and their four-day conference overall. Starmer set out what he wants to achieve, Stephen. He had a coherent narrative and a message of change. He repeatedly came back to the cost of living crisis, higher heating and food bills in the UK, gave only a brief line on Brexit and grasped the nettle of building more homes and green energy. So yes, it was a mix of optimism, of pragmatism. Starmer isn't always the most natural and charismatic speaker, but this was a clear pitch for a two-term Labour government. Starmer talked about a 10-year project of renewal. It was disrupted by a protester who covered Starmer in glitter before he even began the speech as he was standing on stage. But this allowed Starmer his one-liner, protest not power, one that he's used before, but one that made it clear to the huge crowd in the room, the party, how swiftly and thoroughly Starmer has changed Labour from when Jeremy Corbyn was in power, a radical left era, to a position where Labour is credibly trying to oust the Conservatives from power. He also used Labour's political history, I thought, in a very interesting way to his advantage. He compared the Conservatives' record in office to the last successful Labour leader, Tony Blair. 13 years of things can only get better, the Blair tagline and song, versus 13 years of things that can only get worse. He did, though, try to dampen expectations for immediate results, were Labour to get to number 10, get Britain's future back was his motto, but that the party still have work to do to convince voters. Naomi Smith, the CEO of Best for Britain, a UK lobby group, summed it up, a speech that told the ordinary voter why he should be the next Prime Minister. Leading up to this conference is that we hadn't heard enough detail about what exactly it planned to do in power. You've been speaking to people there all week about this. Are we any clearer now on their plans as we come towards the end of the conference? 
Yeah, so Starmer got the tone about right, according to many of the Labour MPs and political strategists, at least in the speech yesterday. On policy, I'd say we got a sense of direction rather than any big announcement. We still don't know, for example, how quickly Labour will deliver on this pledge to make the UK the fastest growing country in the G7. But there was a clear dividing line being drawn with the Conservatives on green policy and the energy transition. Starmer talked about renewable energy, grid infrastructure, electric vehicle manufacturing. We also heard about Great British Power, which is Labour's plan for a publicly owned clean energy company. And that will be located in Scotland, Starmer revealed, where, of course, winning seats at the next election would be pivotal. Starmer strongly criticised the Conservatives for rolling back on their green agenda. He talked about speeding ahead on renewable So that was the sort of policy tone. But I also want to say that we shouldn't underestimate the idea of building one and a half million new homes in Britain. Starmer talked about bulldozing through the planning regulations, building, like the Labour Prime Minister Clement Attlee post-war, the next generation of new towns, so towns near cities, and that these would be actually funded by the private sector. And just lastly, in terms of whether all that building would mean tearing up the green belt, Starmer said clearly it wouldn't. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. We bring you news and analysis every day on the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast, but now you can hear the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Search Bloomberg News Now and subscribe today. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.